0: Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Eftny, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. Men whose intelligence we both admire and are privileged to be able to tap with regularity is that of Bill Walton. He is, of course, uh, best known these days, perhaps for his outstanding television podcast program that Bill Walton showed. He has a couple of other attributes that we find very, very valuable in our conversations with him, particularly about matters economic and financial. And that is his experience on Wall Street as the president and CEO of Allied Capital Corporation, and subsequently his leadership of the Council for National Policy, which I'm proud to be a member. Bill, it's very to have you back. Welcome. Frank, thank you. Boy, a lot to talk about in the uh, economic warfare space, that's for sure. Um, Bill, give us sort of a 30,000-foot level assessment of how we are watching economic warfare be waged, um, it seems with considerable effect at the moment, by um, European nations, uh, both in NATO and some not, as well as, uh, to some extent, um, the United States under the administration of Joe Biden.
1: Well, the West has launched aggressive, unprecedented economic sanctions against Russia and and Putin, and the th- the thing it stands out- over the matter of uh, its invasion of Ukraine. Well, yes, <laughs> I think that I think that was a game changer, and I think it was a wake up call for the EU, and uh, no more so than in, than in Germany. Um, you know, under under sixteen years of Angela Merkel, they've been totally in Russia's pocket and. Getting and growing more and more dependent upon Russian gas and shutting down its nuclear program and and trying to go green with wind and solar and and making putting the German economy and the German people in an incredibly precarious position. Well, this weekend um, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz announced a complete reversal of virtually everything that she uh, she'd been putting in place, including. Um, the Nord Stream Two pipeline, which was all set to go and was being studied and expected to go out in, in online in this uh, this summer, uh, they've shut that. They've shut the, the quote study down, and the, the expectation is they're not going to open it up. Uh, the other thing that's fascinating is that the chancellor was a member of the Green Party, and of course they've been against all of these uh, fossil fuels and. And now, uh, in addition to trying to drive Germans' uh, production of fossil fuels up, they're, they're he's now urging reactivating a lot of the old nuclear uh, power plants, and is advocating building more. And that's that's also a complete reversal from where the Green Party's been. And um, you know what they're seeing is that uh, Putin wants to reestablish the Russian Empire, and. The Germans have woken up from this dream they've been in the last 20, 25 years and are now prepared to uh, to, to um, step up, And including um, Germany's contribution to NATO. He pledged 100 billion euro or 110, 105 billion euro, $110 billion to uh, its defense effort uh, to get it up to 2%. And of course, This is what Donald Trump was uh, lecturing about for year after year after year, and everybody thought Trump was way out of line. Well, it turns out Trump was exactly right, and the Germans now agree they need to be able to uh, prepare to defend themselves. There is, uh, of course, a certain fluidity to all of this, and
0: I personally would be a little dubious that um, we won't see that Nord Stream pipeline, the second one, brought online in due course, having invested as much as they have, and, and frankly, having become as dependent upon Russian energy as the Germans have. Um, and the same might be said of their commitment to finally step up on some of their obligations to enhance their military preparedness. But it's a positive development, that's for sure, and I guess it, uh, it calls to mind that old line about conservatives being liberals mugged by reality. Um, <laughs> maybe Greens and uh, socialists in uh, Germany are being uh, now bugged by reality and, and braced up in a way that, uh, uh, let's hope, is enduring because it's absolutely vital to having the kind of deterrent effect that one has hoped for um, long before now. Bill, as we're speaking, um, of course, the war is still going on in Ukraine. There's a large convoy of people uh, military vehicles headed towards Kyiv, as it's called uh, these days, uh, that uh, suggests that it's going to become much uglier and uh, and particularly more deadly for the people of uh, the capital of Ukraine and perhaps the people of Ukraine more broadly. Um, Which makes all the more interesting, what kind of toll is all of this taking on this economic warfare, that is, on the Russian economy, um, the currency of Russia, the capital markets of Russia.
1: Well, the other thing of note was that the uh, European ministers got together this weekend and virtually unanimously uh, voted to impose the, the, the toughest economic sanctions they ever. And the, 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 the pivot point in this, I guess, was the call that the uh, prime minister of Ukraine came on. Dialed into the meeting, uh, pleading for help, and he said, "Last time, this is the last time. This is probably the last time you'll see me alive." And he gave a very emotional 10-minute speech. And after that speech, it really turned the room around. And the Germans who had been skeptics uh, really turned on a dime during that meeting. And the the sanctions, uh, you know, the big one is is the uh, limiting uh, Russian banks' access to the SWIFT system, which is that short term for society for worldwide interbank financial telecommunications. It's essential. It's the uh, it's the Gmail for banks. I mean, if you want to send money around, this is what you use. And they've cut off all the banks in Russia. Interestingly, except the ones that handle the uh, the gas sales, and because they don't want to cut off the uh, the energy supplies to you. But except for that, it, it is having a very crippling effect in the Russian economy. Oil and gas is only about twenty percent. Only that's a lot—about twenty percent of the Russian economy—and they've got they've had a fairly vibrant uh, tech sector, and that piece of the world and that that piece of the Russian economy has been incredibly crippled by these sanctions, and they really can't do business um, because the you know they can't get access to their capital. There's a case of one small tech company that had two billion or two million dollars set aside for just this kind of eventuality, and now because of the the swift uh, system being shut down they can't get they can't get they can't reach it we're seeing a, a run on atms in russia we're uh, we're seeing uh, you know the economic shock here's tremendous there they could see their gdp fall by 10 15% and uh, you know my frank your your word dubious that that's a good word <laughs> when it comes to the the tough intentions of the eu but What's what's not in question is that the the Russian economy is really quite small. It's 11th in the world, smaller than South Korea, highly dependent on oil and gas. These sanctions are cutting off the vibrant part of the the, uh, Russian economy. Um, Russian GDP has been flatlined for the last 10 years. And most importantly, the GDP per per person has dropped from about $16,000 to $10,000 since uh, 2012. And when you look at that amazing photo...
0: Which is all the more remarkable, given that the size of the population has dropped. So you'd think that it would be uh, staying more or less static, even if uh, GDP is declining.
1: Which makes matters even worse. But the, for me, the the image that stands out is that astonishing photo of Vladimir Putin meeting this weekend with his top advisors on the economy. And he's sitting at the head of a... F- meeting <laughs> remotely. <laughs> He's sitting, he's sitting at the head of a 50-foot long table, and his advisors are all the way down at the other end of the table. There are about five or six of them clustered around. Evidently, Putin has been absolutely um, in a state of paranoia about the virus and has been social distancing. And this is the most extreme example, and you've got, we've got photos to, to prove it. Uh, but the other thing is he doesn't use a cell phone he doesn't use the internet. He thinks that it was all been engineered by the CIA, so he won't touch uh, that the electronic world. And he's very out of touch, and it just makes you wonder whether Putin is really has all the power that we think he has. Because if, if the economy is going to go south, further south from the direction it's going, the billionaires are already complaining that we shouldn't. The Russian. Uh, plutocrat billionaires oligarchs that's their word uh, they're all complaining about this. You have to wonder how long Putin is going to be able to hold the whip hand, and it's an. I see that as an extremely. I mean, you could say, well, if they get rid of him, that could be a very positive thing, and Europe would or Russia would stand down and and uh, bring Europe back to some sense of stability. But my big my biggest fear is that Putin is a is a man who's in his desperate last hours and uh you know I might you know that old play movie in the fifties called the Mouse that Roared about a little country that declared war in the United States to be recognized and get uh, foreign aid well I think economically europe uh, Russia is the mouse that reward but it's a it's a it's a mouse that has five thousand nuclear weapons aimed at europe and the united states uh the the unknown here is China. You know, they had a nice meeting during the Winter Olympics. Uh, Putin and Xi. And Xi promised uh, support for Putin, but Xi also wants to do business with Europe, and uh, he has to worry about all the all the business and all the economic relationships that China wants to have with Europe and with the EU, at least for the time being. Turning very tough on Russia. Um, Where's he going to come out here in terms of supporting Putin? I, I don't think uh, I don't think we know, but it's but it's something to watch. It is indeed. Uh, it's made more interesting by something our colleague uh, Bill Gertz
0: pointed out in the Washington Times uh, a day or two ago, namely that China actually signed a treaty with Ukraine to guarantee their security in the event there was a a, a nuclear threat. Emanating uh, against it and and tied into an invasion specifically, and uh, this this would seem to make even more problematic G's um, uh, you know alliance with. Uh,
1: well, I want to um, use a stronger uh, word than uh, dubious because Russia is like or China is likely to agree to a treaty based on international law as much as they're they're bound to agree not to steal uh Texty. Oh comes. yeah, no, no, no. Look, I'm, I'm under the illusion about. We this. have a piece if of paper signed by China. Yeah, that's worth a lot.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, push comes to shove, he's going to align, I'm sure, with uh, with Vladimir Putin. But the point is that, um, as you were suggesting, uh, it's gotten more complicated for China, I think, than they had probably bargained on, and uh, it, it may, especially if this, you know. Um, is sustained in terms of the West's, uh, you know, cohesive response to it all, um, provide a bit of a discouragement, uh, which is much needed to their
1: own ambitions. I, I underestimated this, right. the toughness of the Ukrainians, and a, in particular, the toughness so of Putin. its president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so did Putin. But now we're left with this situation where. You know, there are some people we know that are very smart about this who said that Russia could go in and take Ukraine in three days. Well, that has not proved to be the case, uh, and it now looks like Russia is going to escalate. But it's an enormous country, and you know, you send people in, they're not. It didn't seem like they're going to be able to occupy Ukraine. With any real secure grip on the country. And so this is not something that's going to get resolved in the next week or two. This is something that's going to be an ongoing... Uh, he's going to have uh, millions of dissidents in Ukraine uh, that he's got to deal with, uh, even if he does succeed militarily.
0: It, again, we'll be watching it closely, Bill, as I know will you, uh, because one of the questions is, you know, do they take out Zelensky? Uh, and that clearly seems to have been part of the plan. And um, if they do, do they... You know, impose some new puppet regime, and how do the Ukrainian people respond to that? Uh, it, it seems as though this is going to be a festering sore for Putin. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say uh, his days are numbered, as uh, as you've admitted. But um, it it, uh, it certainly isn't working out as he had planned. And whether this nuclear threat is
1: uh, real or not, well, Frank, you could probably answer this. You could you can answer this question: Does Putin really have a strong hand on the on the nuclear button? Doesn't he? Isn't he surrounded by lots of other people? That lots of other men that uh, well, whose interests may not be necessarily aligned with trigger unilaterally, and they would all, you know execute
0: his orders. Um, I tend to think that is the case. I just think that's the nature of the system that uh, he has presided over. and and the other interesting thing on that point, Bill, which I think we've talked about in the past, but it it uh, it bears remembering at a moment like this when he is engaged in these kinds of um, nuclear threats, that not only has Putin wholly modernized, his nuclear arsenal, including introducing some exotic and terrifying new nuclear weapons in the mix, he's not only, you know, uh, adopted a doctrine that he calls escalate to de-escalate, which clearly countenances the use of nuclear weapons in battlefield contingencies, among other things. But he also has personally presided over not once, not twice, but repeatedly. Strategic nuclear exercises in which the Russian military has simulated attacks against the United States with long range ballistic missiles and other weapons. And by the way, in some of those instances, has actually had uh, Chinese participation in the exercises. So I mean, this is a guy who takes that particular point very seriously. And I've, I've been hearing news reports today that um, just the past couple of days that uh, the Russians agreed with the United States that uh, a nuclear war cannot be won and must not be fought. That's not Vladimir Putin's view at all. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's deception uh, at the very least. Hey, Bill, before we run out of time, I did want to just ask you about um, one other thing not unrelated to this point. Um, you've done on on several occasions, I've participated in at least one of them uh, that I can recall, uh, on your wonderful television program, The Bill Walton Show, um, programming about uh, the vulnerabilities of our electric grid, notably with our friend, Dr. Peter Vincent Pry. Um, there has been <clears throat> this weekend, as you may have seen, um, a really stunning piece by 60 Minutes. And again, it wasn't news perhaps to your audience or mine, but uh, I think to a lot of Americans, it probably was hugely shocking to discover that uh, uh, this uh, large substation outside of San Jose, California, back in 2013, was very nearly destroyed by unknown persons. Um, one of, by uh, the estimation of our colleague Mike maybe. Uh, who featured prominently in the 60 Minutes piece, by the way, a um, 700 terrorist attacks against the grid uh, in the past decade. And it raises the question, doesn't it, that um, if the grid is this vulnerable, whether it's to physical sabotage or cyber attacks or electromagnetic pulse or solar weather or whatever, shouldn't we be about fixing those vulnerabilities right quick. And and would you agree with me that that ought to be something that Joe Biden talks about tonight in his State of the Union address, which will uh, proceed in uh, most markets, uh, our our uh, conversation. But I, I just want your thoughts on whether this rises to the level of importance that should feature prominently in such an address to the
1: nation. It should be front and center in importance. Uh, And to fix the electric grid is not trillions of dollars, it's billions of dollars and single digit billions of dollars. And we could do it, and we could do it fairly expeditiously as Peter Pry explains. But this calls calls to mind why the situation with Putin and Russia is so dangerous is that Our foreign policy and national defense leadership is so unserious, so unprepared to deal with real threats. You know, they're running after uh, still global warming. Uh, You know, John Kerry has said this is the Russian invasion. Gosh, he hopes it doesn't interfere with our our plans to move to green energy. And then also, we've got Lloyd Austin. Concerned about uh, white rage and Mark Milley concerned about white rage and the U.S. military and white supremacism, and they think those are the biggest threats facing the United States. These are the men who would be recommending addressing the problems with the grid, and that they're not doing it is, uh, is 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 to me a fireable offense. It's almost treason because they're they're smart people who know that this is an issue. You know, coming back to Ukraine, the the only thing, one thing, surprises me is that is that Putin has not done that to Ukraine. They have the capability to do it, and maybe they don't want to tip their hand with regard to uh, EMP. If they did it with Ukraine, it might it might stiffen our resolve to do something here. So it may be just a strategic. Strategic feint uh, that's being uh, being uh, implemented. It's a it's a big concern, and oh, that Biden would talk about it tonight would just be fantastic. Because you know, for the first time in my life, I'm really worried about be- being incinerated. I mean, these people bl- blunder after blunder after blunder. Um, you know, and and you know, Trump had had the Nord Stream two pipeline shut down. Obama was not for it. And then the first thing Biden does in January or July of last year is they open the whole thing up. And that that pipeline is 100% owned by Gazprom, the Russian oil and gas company. So um the, the interrelationship is interrelationships here are fascinating and dangerous. They are indeed. Bill, this is why we value so much your contributions
0: to the program, helping us work through all of these. And I uh, look forward to our conversation with you again next week. Thanks for your time today, my friend. Keep up the great work you do at the Bill Walton Show. Next up, we will speak with Colonel Chuck DeVore, United States Army retired, about this Ukraine business um, on the tactical and strategic levels right after this.